Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Royce, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And for this episode, we are going to travel back through the mists of time, all the way back to the 17th and the 18th centuries, to investigate the first ever collection of real-life Welsh ghost stories. And in particular, we are going to focus on two tales of evil spirits, as they called them back then, but what we might call poltergeists nowadays. And these are not just any old poltergeists, and, and by old, I mean they are very old, 17th or 18th century, but not just any old poltergeists. These were particularly nasty poltergeists, which did attack people, which did throw things at people, and which did physically beat people. Yes, they pulled people from their horses and beat them. Like I said, these are particularly nasty poltergeists. Now, what I think is quite quite special about this old collection of ghost stories, the reason I, I really love this collection is it's not just because they are old, it's not just the historical interest of them, although that is fascinating as well, but it's because they are very good stories. They are more than just curiosities. You could read some of these as works of fiction today, and they could still have you on the edge of your seat. The added bonus is that if you choose to believe them, they are in fact real life stories at the same time. Such as the two tales of the evil spirits, those pesky poltergeists. I am going to tell you all about very soon. But just very quickly, before we do, let's clarify this whole earliest collection of real-life business. Because what I mean by that is, this is the first collection of, in inverted commas, true stories. So obviously not the first ghost stories in Wales. There were ghost stories many, many centuries before this. But this was the first time somebody attempted to to catalogue them, to gather stories by corresponding by letter, by talking to people, by interviewing people, and gathering this information together. So, centuries later, I could come along and make a podcast out of it. But, as I mentioned, if you believe them, these are first-hand accounts from real people of hauntings, and they took place in the 17th and the 18th century. They were recorded in the 18th century, but some of them, of course, happened in earlier times. And they were recorded by a man called Edmund Jones. Now, Edmund Jones is himself a fascinating character, and I would love to go into more detail about his background as well, but the purpose of this episode is to look at the ghost stories themselves. But what I would like to do in in future is hopefully dedicate an entire episode looking at Edmund himself. But just very quickly, just to give you some background about the kind of person Edmund was and why he collected these stories, the description on the back of the edition that I own says that he was a visionary, a prophet, a topographer, and religious historian. But 
The main thing I think you have to bear in mind with Edmund Jones when listening to these stories is that he was a minister, a Welsh independent minister, a Calvinist. And as it says on the back of the book, like many Protestant reformers, Jones was fascinated by the occult. There is this link between this fervent surge in Christianity that was happening and what, what I guess we would now call the supernatural with the occult, with this idea that there was something out there. There was good fighting evil and there were apparitions on both sides. And while I've focused on ghosts for this episode, Jones also recorded tales of deep breath for this one. Ghosts, demons, fairies, witches, angels, and giants. All of which inhabited the, inverted commas, invisible world. And I imagine in episodes to come, we will get a chance to look at a lot more of those. But for this episode, we are going to focus on two ghost stories. And the reason for that is, as regular listeners who've been paying attention might remember, it was about a month ago that I said, I promised, I would look at a very old ghost story. And then, uh, well, to, to, to be honest, then I forgot all about it. Things like Deeth Santis doing when and things popped up and he went totally out of my brain. So let's do them now. Let's do those two ghost stories right now. So that is why for now I am ignoring all the finer points of this and just going straight into a ghost story. And the first of these two ghost stories takes place in Anglesey. Now, the reason I've chosen this one, again, is because I think there is so much in this book that we will go back to. I thought, well, let's do it alphabetically. Let's go to the start. Let's go to the first one and let's look at the letter A. And the first entry for the letter A is Anglesey. Although, as I was thinking about this, and, and this, is, this is my boring fact for the day, I'll make it quick, but I was just pondering this, but... Anglesey's correct Welsh language name is Anis Morn, which starts with a Y. And as you may or may not know, in the Welsh alphabet, there is no Z. And so Y is the last letter in the Welsh alphabet. And so purely by chance, because this book was published in the English language, we are starting with Anglesey. But had this book been published in the Welsh language as a lot of Welsh books were, certainly in the 18th century, we would be waiting a heck of a long time to get to Anglesey because it would be right at the other end and it would be the last letter alphabetically in the book. But anyway, that's my pointless fact for the week. Hopefully there'll be no more of those. And let's crack on with this eerie old ghost story. And to set the scene, I am going to read to you Jones's original introduction, and as with a lot of these old tales, I do love the language they use, and it really does, I think, evoke the, the, the times and the feelings of what people were thinking back then. But anyway, that's enough of my words. Let's go to Jones's words, and this is the tale of the apparition in the Isle and County of Anglesey. And he says, I received the following account, which I hope is authentic. Well, <laughs> I hope it's authentic as well, Jones, but I hope it's authentic from a young gentleman of Anglesey concerning the Reverend Mr. Hughes, a clergyman of the Church of England, who was counted the most popular preacher 
and therefore the most followed in the county. Now, eagle-eared listeners, if there is such a thing as eagle-eared, and there's eagle-eyed, isn't there? I I, I imagine there's eagles have got good ears as well. Eagle-eared listeners might have noticed that he was a clergyman of the Church of England, And that is because back in the 17th and the 18th century, the church in Wales was still a part of the Church of England. And if you listen very carefully, it is, of course, the Church of England. But in Wales, it's the Church in Wales. And I'd love to tell you why one is of England and the other one is in Wales. But I promised no more boring, pointless facts. So let's just move on with the ghosts. Now, at one time, this Reverend Mr. Hughes was going by night to preach and he came to a place where he saw an artificial circle upon the ground between Amloch village and St. Elian church, which was said to be haunted by an evil spirit. So it was night time, he was going past a place he knew was haunted by an evil spirit, and there was a strange circle on the ground. When he entered into the circle, why why he entered, I do not know, but he did. When he entered into the circle, maybe, maybe he had no choice. Something that resembled a dog, a, a greyhound, brushed against him. And he was pulled off his horse, pulled from his horse, and beaten. Yes, beaten. Now, unfortunately, this was so long ago, I can't really ask anyone for more details here, but why he was brushed by a dog and then found himself being pulled from his horse and beaten, what was going on? I don't know. But the next night, having occasion to go that way, he went with an intention to speak to the spirit. So he assumed that whatever had pulled him off his horse the night before, whatever had beaten him, was this evil spirit and rather than avoiding it as most of us might do he decides to go back and to confront it so the next night he goes back and when he arrived at that same spot again i am sure you can all see where this is going he was and i quote beaten again Yes, having not learned his lesson, he went back and he was beaten again. But this time he spoke to it. He spoke to it, but he received no answer. Another time he passed by. Again, he he still hasn't learned his lesson, but this isn't a third night in a row. This is later on. He goes back again a third time. And this time he passed by the place, but without a horse. He was on foot. And he then saw that the spirit was chained. So this spirit was visible, presum- well, it was visible, this, this, this reverend claimed to have seen it, and he could see it in chains, so it was held in place there. It, it wasn't staying there just to, to, to wait and, and to beat up reverends, it was chained there for some reason. And he could see how far its chain reached, and standing out of reach of its chain, so he's, he's finally learned his lesson, he's finally worked out that If he stands back out of range, that spirit can't beat him again. And from this safe distance, he questioned the spirit why he troubled those who passed by. So, by the sounds of it, this reverend wasn't the only person being beaten up by uh, an an invisible spirit with, with, with a pet greyhound. To which it replied, it spoke and it said, 
that as he was going with company, so this this is a man, it's a male spirit, as he was going with company when he was alive to offer a silver groat, which is expected and received at St. Elian Church. So he was on his way to the church with a silver groat, like a good, honest Christian. But, and this is where it all goes a little bit wrong for him, he decides that, in fact, he's not a good, honest Christian. And he decides to hide that groat, that silver groat, under a stone. A stone, we can assume, which was somewhere between the church and Amluch, where this circle is, where people get beaten up. But after hiding it, he continued to church, he continued to St. Elian Church, and he said he had lost it to be excused from payment. And while he might have been excused from payment in this life, he was more than making up for it in the next life. And that is why he was still there, chained and in torment and attacking people as a result of what he had done. And so he asked this reverend, this good man of God, if he could help him. He asked the reverend, Mr. Hughes, if he could get that silver groat. And if he paid it in his place, the trouble would cease. So he did just that. He told the reverend where he could find the groat. The reverend did indeed take it to the church. And with that, the spirit which was attacking people just outside Amluch stopped. Which, all in all, is quite a nice ending to that first story. The second story, however, does not have such a nice ending at all. But first, in conclusion to that one, Jones says, just to wrap up this story, he says that there is something remarkable in the relation, but I deliver it as I had it from a person who I am sure would not knowingly tell an untruth or otherwise. So what Jones is saying is that, yes, I know this, this story sounds a bit silly, a bit far-fetched, even back in the 18th century when he was recording it. Yes, it sounds a bit far-fetched, but nevertheless, the person who told me this story, the young gentleman who told me this story about this good, honest reverend, was, as far as he was concerned, telling the truth. And I guess you can't, you can't really prove it or unprove it. I mean, you can go there and say, I didn't get beaten up by a spirit, I guess, which would prove that the ghost is not there now. Uh, that doesn't really help prove that there was something there in the past, I guess. But anyway, that is the first story recorded in the oldest collection of Welsh ghost stories ever. Now, as mentioned, Jones did record po possibly hundreds of these stories, but I wanted to find another one to complement that one, to find another story which also spoke of an evil spirit and which also seeked to cause bodily harm. And I thought it would be nice to include this one as well as a bit of balance to show that it wasn't just the, this reverend in Anglesey who was seeing these kind of evil spirits, but there was also a farmer in the old county of Carnarvonshire. And our story begins about the year 1758. At the house of a certain farmer in the parish of Llanllachid, there was a great disturbance from an evil spirit, but this one was casting stones in and about the house, beating and wounding people. The stones were of diverse sizes, 
up to 27 pounds in weight. So <laughs> these are some pretty hefty missiles this, this evil spirit is throwing at people. Some clergyman from Bangor. See, we are back to the clergyman. This is a recurring theme with Jones's work. But some clergyman from Bangor, on Bangor's side, came there to read prayers. And they did their best with a good design. But they were also beaten and obliged to go away. Not only does Jones put a lot of the clergy in, he puts a lot of the clergy getting beaten in. Reading prayers was too weak a means to drive an enraged evil spirit away. There was a necessity of some persons of a strong faith who had the spirit and gift of prayer in some great measure. So what he's saying is that they need some really, really true believers here with some really strong prayers to get rid of it. And even these clergymen from Bangor, you, you would have thought that, I mean, clergymen of, of all people, if anyone is going to have strong faith, you would like it to be the clergymen, but even they could not do it. Even the assembled powers of the clergymen from Bangor were not enough to drive it out. Now, most of the stones that were being thrown were river stones. So these were being taken out of the river which runs nearby. And the disturbance was so great, we are told, that the family, to quote, removed vents, or to put it another way, they scarpered. They got out of there as quickly as they could. The person who related the story to the Reverend Mr. R.F. told him that he was struck with a stone himself of about five pounds weight, he thought. So the person who recalled this story had first and experience of being hit by a stone in this property. But nevertheless, compared to the last story, compared to Anglesey, that's, that's quite an unsatisfactory ending, really. In the Anglesey story, that brave reverend goes back again and again. He sees the chained-up spirit and he, he saves the day. He, he, become, he becomes a, a, an 18th-century ghostbuster. In this one, the clergy are useless. They can do nothing. The family give up. The prayers are not strong enough. And off they go. And this does tap in very nicely with this theme of good versus evil, good and bad, that was raging, or so they thought, at the time. And it goes to show that good does not always win. On Anglesey, yes, it, it was great. But in Carnarvonshire, those clergymen... Clearly needed to, to, to brush up on their, their Bible reading or something and sort themselves out. Now, I hope you've enjoyed those tasters of these very, very early real life, or supposedly at least real life tales. And there will be a lot more coming up, I'm sure, over the coming months and years and, and centuries, however long this podcast goes on for. And, as always, if you'd like to make sure that you do not miss a single one of them, please consider hitting the subscribe button. It always makes me happy when new people subscribe, so please do. And, as always, it's always great to hear from people as well. So if you've enjoyed those stories, or if you have any comments to make, maybe you've experienced evil spirits that, that beat people and throw stones at them, if so, I'm quite easy to track down online. There's my website and I'm on all the main social media sites. I'm very active on Twitter. I've got my own Facebook page. I'm on 
Instagram. So if you do a search for Mark Reese, Mark Reese author or journalist or something like that, you'll find me easy enough. And very quickly, just to wrap up this episode, I've had some good news recently about the publication date of my next book. Now, as you might have heard me moaning about moaning, <laughs> talking about at least in, in the past, my new book of Welsh myths and legends and folktales was supposed to be in the shops for summer 2020. Now, as we all know, 2020 didn't quite go to plan, and that book was bumped back by the publisher uh, again and again and again. But for the first time, it's actually been bumped forward, which is which is great news. So my next book, The Illustrated Tales of Wales, which the last date I think I gave you was in time for Halloween this year, it is now, fingers crossed, going to be on sale March the 15th. So I'm sure there'll be running commentary on this podcast between now and then. So if anything changes, I'll let you know. But hopefully, hopefully the book will finally be out March the 15th. And this year I've got everything crossed that we can at some point all meet up this year and have a big launch party because I, I wasn't able to do that with my last book but I'm really hoping for this one we can get together and drink beer and eat cake like the Mary Lloyd and have a, a jolly old time but let's uh, let's see what the future holds. And on that note, that's enough plugging my books. On that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian and Grando. I've been Mark Race. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best. It's the beautiful. It's the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, no star. <laughs>